I had intended to preach something different this morning, but that'll have to wait for another time, maybe quite a long time. I can explain the change, but that would take too much time now. But instead, last night I felt the Lord would have me speak on this topic instead, the topic of the Father's love for his children, God the Father's love for his children, all who have trusted in Christ. God the Father gets a lot of bad press. He's often portrayed as, well, we make God in our image far too often. We think of God as just an old man. An old man are quite weak. An old man on a beard sitting on a throne in heaven. When in fact, God is much bigger than any image we could make of him. And God the Father doesn't have a body we're told in John 4, 24, God is spirit. And we are required to worship him in spirit and in truth. He's often characterized as being judgmental. Looking at each thing we do, looking to catch us out when we do something wrong so that he can punish us. He's often characterized as giving the law rules that we have to live by. While Jesus, on the other hand, is characterized by giving us grace and love. God the Father is often portrayed as being judgmental, the stern God of the Old Testament, while Jesus is the loving and gentle and gracious God of the New Testament. God the Father is often portrayed as being distant from us, while instead he's, he's all around us. That song, From a Distance, you might know it, God is watching us from a distance. That's the wrong idea completely. He's here. He's in him we live and move and have our being, as Paul tells the folk in Acts chapter 17 in Athens. The distance between us and the Father is not to do with space, distance. It's more a distance in terms of relationship, that we're not close to him. Just like a husband and wife who have fallen out. One of them wants to make up, but the other doesn't. They may be in the same room, they may be in the same car, but one of them's looking the other way, ignoring the person. The distance between them is massive, and yet they're sitting right next to each other. The distance between God and us relationally is massive because of our sin, but... He's around us. There's nowhere we can go that he isn't there. There's so many ways in which these characterizations of God the Father are wrong. It's difficult to know where to start and where to end. God the Father has shown us love, grace and mercy in abundance in the Old Testament. Just like he does in the New. How he relates to the people of Israel in grace and patience and love teaches us what God's character is like as well as what our character is like. We tend to be unfaithful. God in the Old Testament is faithful again and again, loving and gracious and merciful. And when it comes to Jesus, he does show love, he does show care and kindness, he heals people 
He's gentle with them. But he speaks more about hell than he does about heaven. He speaks more about judgment than he does about the afterlife. God's word mentions judgment and punishment not because he delights in telling us what we're going to get but instead as a warning to us so that we might avoid it. Some of our views of God can be just distortions of the truth enough to steer us off course like a car that's going fine except the steering just is it needs adjusted and if we just let go of the steering wheel instead of going straight on the the steering just takes us off and we would crash and that can happen theologically as well I'm not sure if you've seen the website or the video uh, which is titled Father's Love Letter where there's lots of Bible verses presented one after the other about the Father, God the Father and his children. In some respects it's really good. It has lots of good Bible verses but in other respects the way it's presented is not the gospel. Some people might think it differently and they might enjoy it seeing the positive things from it but sometimes it's not so much what is there that should cause us to to be concerned it's what's not there God is portrayed to say if I can quote from it a bit and a few summaries as well my child you may not know me but I know everything about you I'm not distanced distant and angry but I'm the complete expression of love Listen, I've sorted out the issue that was between us. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. So please come back and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. Will you be my child? I'm waiting for you. Love, your dad. It ultimately, it portrays God as being left on his own while the children have had enough of him, gone off. And like a lovesick parent... He says how much they love their children. He begs them to come home. But the problem is it misrepresents God as being someone who is incomplete, someone who is desperate for our love. Instead, he isn't. The gospel is a solution to our problem not God's problem. It solves the problem of the judgment day when we deserve to be punished for eternity, for our sin, our rebellion against God, our living for ourselves instead of for him, living for ourselves instead of loving him and loving our neighbor. God is our creator. He created us for that and we have rebelled against that. We've done our own thing instead. We're so self-orientated. In the gospel, God the Father doesn't need our love to be complete. He has the love of the Son and the Spirit. Within the Godhead, within the Trinity, there is a perfect relationship of love. The Father loving the Son and the Spirit. The Son loving the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit loving the Father and the Son. They're complete. He doesn't need us in the way a, a lonely parent would. 
instead of seeing our predicament of being judged and condemned to an eternity of perishing, of punishment, of endless suffering, God is gracious to us. No matter how gently our rejection of him has been, he displays grace and mercy towards us. No matter how respectable our rejection of him might have been, or how starkly or open our sin may have been, he calls us to come to him. We're all familiar with people who are very open in their opposition to others. They have arguments, they have fights. And you know where you stand with them. They're very open in their opposition. But there's others who are more passive-aggressive and they'll be nice to your face. And sometimes they'll say nice things, but what they do and what they say to others is a different story. Sometimes there's people who are openly against God, atheist, other religions, just trying to live without God in different ways. And yet at other times there's people who seem they go to church, they seem relatively nice. But behind that niceness can also be hidden a more insidious sin. A sin that is more difficult to put the finger on. A sin of respectability, of self-justification. And it's harder. It's harder for people with that kind of sin to actually see their need of God than those who are openly rebelling against him. It was harder for the Pharisee who went into the temple to pray to see his sin. He didn't see it at all. Than for the tax collector who acknowledged it. He says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. He knew who he was and what he had done. Yet for both, the end is the same punishment for sin. (coughs) And why does God give us the parable of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector? It's to show us, it's to help us to see our need of him. But God, in his love for us, he interrupted his blissful relationship within the Trinity. The Son came down, suffered on the cross. He experienced separation from the Father, punishment from the Father on our behalf. so that we would be reconciled to the Father. God didn't do it because he was missing us, as the Father's love letter would make out. In his very selective choice of Bible verses, and it's retranslation of some of them to, to make God sound nice and gentle, and there's no judgment, and there's... If we look at the truth of the Bible, the whole truth we see that God did this to save us from our fate, which is worse than death. To be gracious and merciful to us was for our good, not his. 
God the Father wants to bless us from an abundance of his love, his grace, his mercy, his charity towards us. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. It doesn't say he gave his one and only son so that he wouldn't feel so alone but would have us to keep him company as that father's love letter tends to imply. No, he did it for us. He took the pain that he didn't need to take. Jesus took the pain he didn't need to take so that we could be reconciled to God. As we sang earlier, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one Bring many, bring many sons and daughters to glory. God isn't harsh. He isn't uncaring. He isn't judgmental trying to point the finger at everything we do wrong. And he isn't a big softy either. He isn't somebody who would never say, boot anyone. He, he's not going to be the kind of person who says, you want to come into heaven? I'm not going to stop you. Everybody come on in. Actually, there's a lot of people, if they were allowed into heaven, they wouldn't want to be there. They'd jump straight back out again because it's too holy. It's too godly. They don't want it here. They won't want it there. But God's presence in eternity will be a perfect, a sinless place. And he requires sinless people. We're told to be perfect because our Heavenly Father is perfect. And we can only be perfect through faith in Christ. God doesn't want to judge anyone, but it's what our sin requires. We're told in Isaiah twenty-eight twenty-one that judgment is an uncomfortable thing for God. It's his strange work, as the King James used to translate it. It's something that he prefers not to do, but he delights in showing mercy and showing grace to us. Sometimes a boss at work might just delight in firing people if they don't meet their expectations. But at other times you have a boss who gives second chances, third chances, and does all they can, tries to provide retraining, but somebody just won't work with them. And eventually they have to fire them. That's more like the kind of father we have our Heavenly Father, he doesn't delight in condemning people. That's his strange work, his uncomfortable work. He delights in showing mercy to us. And yet, our earthly fathers highlight our need of God the Father in different ways. The very title Father often evokes negative feelings for many people who have had bad or difficult experiences of their earthly fathers. For those who have had a loving father, someone who's cared for them, somebody who's been there for them, somebody who's been there when they've been in need, somebody who's been strong and gentle 
somebody who's been a great backstop and support in their life, a father who loves their childhood and leads in them. That love is a reflection, a tester, a sample of the love of God the Father. The gentleness and caring of a loving father or mother. Well, <clears throat> the qualities of a father and mother here are the qualities of God's love. Both father and mother. Such care is just a sample of his abundant love for us. And yet, when we grow up and we leave home, our parents can't be there for us all the time. Even when we're growing up at home, they're not there everywhere. Yet God can be there. God is there. We can never leave his presence. But where fathers and sometimes mothers have been harsh and unloving, distant and uncaring, unapproachable and stern, or even worse, even much worse, it's understandable how people can find it difficult to relate to God as a loving Heavenly Father. Fathers and mothers should show something of God's love to their children, but yet the devil distorts that. And instead of <coughs> an earthly mother or father being an introduction to what the love of God is, the devil instead distorts the love of God. It makes people think that fathers and mothers, you can't get love from them. And it's such a shame that the people who have had a bad relationship with their fathers or their mothers, they tend not to be predisposed towards having a good relationship with God the Father. The very mention of God just gets their back up. It takes a lot of counselling and Bible teaching sometimes to, to try and get people to see, no, that's not what God the Father is like. That's the devil's work, trying to destroy our relationship with God by getting parents to have bad relationships with their children. And yet, even in such situations... The, the need of the child emphasizes the fact that we need a good father. We need good caring, motherly and fatherly care. Our loss highlights our need. It highlights our need of God the Father. Our disappointment and sorrow highlights that there ought to be a perfect heavenly father. Someone has written that <clears throat> the enormous response to Bob Carlyle's 1996 song, Butterfly Kisses, which speaks of a tender love between a father and his daughter, uh, said that Bob Carlyle, that song that he sang, makes him feel really sad. He says, I get a lot of mail from young girls who try to get me to marry their mums. He says, but that used to be a real... But give him a real chuckle, just to make him smile, because it's so cute. And then he says he realised that really, they don't really want a romance for their mum. They want the father that's in that song for themselves. 
we need a loving father. We long for a loving father. And no matter whether we've had a good experience or a bad, we can have it in God the Father. And that's the good news of the gospel. How can we illustrate this? I think one of the best illustrations is the the loving father of the prodigal son. So much so that I think this parable of the prodigal son is actually not about the prodigal son at all. It's about the father. There's two sons in the story and they both have dysfunctional relationships with their father. But the father is the one who runs throughout the story. It could well be called instead the parable of the loving father. Just like the prodigal son who rejected his father and says effectively father I wish you were dead I want my share of the inheritance now so that I can go off and enjoy myself we we tend to do that with God we, we don't really recognize that we have a social contract with God we've got a relationship he created us we are meant to be obedient to him to love him to love others and we will be blessed in return and yet what we effectively, the way we live, the way so many people live, is they go, I want the blessings, but I don't want you. I want provision, I want to enjoy life, I want all the good things in life, but I don't want you. That's what the prodigal son did. Or we can be like the older son who thought he was good, who thought, I've got a good relationship with the father because of the things I do. Like people who go to church and try and tell God, like the Pharisee again in the parable, look how good I am. You must be really pleased with me. And he didn't realize, that Pharisee, that he was just praying to himself. He didn't have a relationship with, with God. He was trying to base his relationship with his father on works, on his efforts, on being good and nice and obedient. The older son in the parable but he too was blind to his sin. He needed to have a restored relationship with the father, just like the the younger brother. To the prodigal son or daughter, our sin or our rejection of God, it doesn't have to define our relationship with him. Instead, as Paul writes to the Ephesians, Because God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that we've been saved. He gives us life. He gives gives us mercy because he loved us so much. It's by grace that we relate to him now. Not by the law. Not by... Have you done this? Have you not done that? And he promises to receive us back. I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. He promises to protect us so we'll never be in need again. He'll be a father to the fatherless, defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy, the psalmist writes.
the prodigal son was dejected and humiliated and he would have felt happy just to be a slave in his father's house if his father would have him back. But God doesn't just have us back as slaves. He doesn't just tolerate us to come into his presence. You've received, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father, a kind of a, an affectionate name for God that has respect as well. It's not quite daddy. It's more like papa or something with a bit more, it's not as, I don't know what the word is. It's, there's a sense of awe, there's a sense of respect of looking up to God as well as closeness and affection to him. And just as the father and the, the parable gave a great banquet. He was so overjoyed when his son came back. We can look forward to the wedding feast of the Lamb. What John writes about, the chorus of praise that goes up to God. He said, Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean, waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. We are in the process of being accepted back. It's as if we're, we're on the road back. The Father has come out to greet us. We've been hugged. And it's as if this life, if we've turned back to God, it's like his father has his arm around us as we're walking back to the house. The time of the wedding feast is still to come. The big celebration is still to come. But we have been reconciled with the father. To the older son, the father said that all the works the son did were not a substitute for having a loving relationship with the father. Instead of trying to relate to the father by works, by law, to try and justify, look how good I am, you must like me now. Instead of that, the son should have realized that the father didn't want to just love him back for the things that he'd done. That's more like a contract, like what a slave would expect. What an employer would ex- expect of an employee. That's not the relationship we should have with God the Father. When a parent loves their child, when the child messes up, the parent doesn't say, right, that's it, you're fired, you're out. The parent tries to help the child. The parent loves the child no matter what. The parent helps the child. The parent wants what's good for the child. The parent's relationship is not based upon what the child has done. When the child, like the prodigal son, walks away, the the parent doesn't say, right, that's it, we're finished. The parent realizes that 
this is a break in the relationship, but I'm still their father, their, I'm still their parent. If they'll come back and be restored, I'll still have them back. <laughs> but the, the, the older son should never have thought that his relationship with his father should have been based upon how much he's done. Just like one of the employees on the farm would have been. There should have been love and joy between him and the father instead of a slavish sense of duty. And yet for so many people in churches, there's a slavish sense of duty. God, I've done this. Look, I'm going to church. Oh, so many people, their cars don't move on a Sunday morning. I'm doing so many good things. You must give me something for that. But that's not how it works. Our sin has gotten away and no matter how much we do, that can never overcome our sin. And that's only our duty in any case. We cannot earn God's favour. But instead, we can receive it as a gift through faith in Christ. Instead of having conditional love based on the condition of what we have done, we can have unconditional love, which is based on the fact that God is simply loving and he unconditionally gives us acceptance when we place our faith in Christ. So much so that one of the lovely verses in the Old Testament is Zephaniah 3, verse 17. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty saviour. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Imagine that. God rejoicing over each one of you who have placed your faith in him. We think, there's not much for him to be pleased about in me. Look, Look what I've been like. But he doesn't look at all of that. When we place our faith in Christ, we are now a new person. We now have a new identity. He sees us as one of Christ's. He sees us as being in Christ. And God rejoicing over us with songs. It's not like Gene Kelly singing in the rain because he's happy again, because he's fallen in love with a beautiful girl. This isn't about God feeling good because we've come back to him. This is about God rejoicing over us because of what he has done, about what he has given to us. Rejoicing in the righteousness we have as a gift. Rejoicing that we are in Christ. Rejoicing that the church, the bride of Christ, will be with him, with Christ for eternity. He delights in sharing his love with us. So we have no fear of losing it. It isn't dependent upon us, it's dependent upon him. Isaiah writes, The mountains may move and the hills disappear, but even then my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. God will provide for all our needs. And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. 
we need not fear. If we trust in Christ, we know we have God as our heavenly protector, our heavenly father, our carer, our savior, our savior God. We have the Son as the one who has died for us. We have the Spirit, the one who is within us. No matter how far we may have wandered or how close we may have thought we were, if we were relying on our own righteousness, it doesn't matter how distant we may have been, he calls us to come to him through the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you are who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, rest for your souls. He calls us to come. No matter how far away we've been, that call is to us. It's not simply to the good people who seem to be more good than us. That call is for each one, no matter what we've done. There's no unforgivable sin apart from refusing to be forgiven. John F. Kennedy had a son named Patrick who was fighting for his life because of a lung condition. And the president went to see him in the hospital's fifth floor, which had been cleared of all visitors for security reasons. But on his way to the room, he passed by an open door and saw two girls, about three or four years old, playing on a bed. Patients were still on that floor. And he saw these two girls who were both terribly burned and bandaged. And he asked and he learned that one of the girls would probably lose one of her hands. And he wrote a note there and then to each girl. After several minutes, when he'd finished, he went to his own son's room. And his son, Patrick, died the next day. If a mere man, even a president, can show love and concern to two unknown children while his own son is suffering and dying, how much more will our infinite Father in heaven take concern in us? Someone has written. God loves us more deeply than we can imagine. He loves us more deeply than we could ever fathom and he calls us to come to him and receive that love through faith in Christ and if we place our faith in him he delights in us not because of what we have been he delights in us not despite what we have done he delights in us because we are now in Christ and he looks forward with joy to us being with him when we will be with all those who have trusted in Christ together where there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more sorrow. We will be with him for eternity. Trust that God is good. God the Father is a good, loving, merciful, gracious Father. If we've trusted in Christ already, praise God. That relationship is ours. If we haven't, whether we're a prodigal son or an older brother, a prodigal daughter or an older sister, or both need to reestablish a proper relationship with the Father through faith in Christ, we need to turn back to him now through faith in Christ. He will receive us 
because he's a good loving father, a gracious loving father. If we don't, there's a lot of bad things in this world that we do, but I don't think any of them compare to rejecting the love of God in Christ Jesus. We have nothing to lose and everything to gain by accepting his call, receiving his love and mercy. It's a wonderful gospel we have to share with people. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are lost for words to express our thanks for your love for us. We thank you that you gave your one and only Son that we would not perish but have eternal life. We thank you for your love for us which sustains us and provides for us. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're our Saviour, our elder brother. You are the one who is our righteousness. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're our strength, our holiness. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you. Help us to live our lives in gratitude and thanks for all you have done and all that is ahead, all that you have promised for us. In Jesus' name, amen.